You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are continuing our conversation in the Set Apart to Serve series, another unique story of a, a church worker and their path to serving in the Office of Holy Ministry. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard, pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. He's also author of Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up from Concordia Publishing House. Pastor Richard, welcome back to the Coffee Hour. Hey, it's good to be here, guys. Looking forward to hearing your story. I know we've talked about some of your writing in the past and other theological topics, but I don't know if we've ever really shared your story yeah. in depth. So I'm kind of excited to to get to ask all these really pressing personal questions today. Y'all <laughs> <laughs> are secrets. <laughs> so let's start with when did you first start thinking about becoming a pastor, serving as a pastor? You know, fu- funny little thing. I-, I remember when I decided to go to seminary, an older lady came up to me and she said, oh, Matthew Richard. She goes, I remember you were little, you were sitting on a pontoon boat on Lake Metagoshi, and I asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And and I said, she said, you said to me, I want to be a priest. And <laughs> she goes, you mean a pastor? And, he, and I said, well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so that was, I don't remember saying that. So, but I guess from, from childhood, there was that inclination to do that. But then long story short, I, I got involved with some youth ministry work at my local church growing up and had a wonderful opportunity just to help serve with the youth ministry. And I thought, you know, I really enjoy this. I was actually, long story short, I was, I was on a finance track. I had my security license, my 63, Series 63 and Series 6 license for mutual funds and bonds and all that. And I had an office opened up actually here in Minot, North Dakota to do some financial trading and financial planning. And I was sunk about ten to twelve thousand dollars in debt at that time, opening this office. And my wife and I were going for a drive, and we just—I don't know—it's it, not that it, the the finance was a bad option. It just—it just wasn't where we were at. And and we made the decision driving to a client's house to basically, yep, let's go to seminary. And because I had such a joy in the church working with youth, and my wife did as well. And my first—I kid you not—I I kid you not—I was visiting with this guy, and partway through the meeting, he says, "You know," he says, "Matt," he goes, "A guy like you." why aren't you in the ministry? You know, I, I, this is great, but it just seems like a guy like you should be in the church. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? I made a decision actually a half hour before coming to this meeting to go to seminary. And he's like, well, he goes, let me go get my Bible. Let's talk about Christianity. And we actually took all the finance stuff, shoved it off the side, and we just talked about scriptures and 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 so forth. My boss called me. She goes, how did the meeting went? How did the meeting go? And I said, I said, great meeting. I didn't have the heart to tell her that I was actually quitting or not, but but that was kind of the start of it. And then so my wife and I, we 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 picked up, there's just the two of us, moved to Minnesota to go to seminary, $12,000 in debt, no money, no plan. Looking back on it, it's actually quite foolish. <laughs> the older Matt Richard looking back on it, but it worked out. Now you just said seminary in Minnesota. We got to unpack that a little bit. What is that story behind coming into what is now the LCMS? Because we don't have an LCMS seminary in Minnesota. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so at the time, I, I grew up in the Church of the Lutheran Brethren. It's a small Lutheran denomination, about 110 churches in the United States. I Overseas in Africa, there's there's over about like 1,200 churches in Chad and Cameroon, and so it's quite large overseas. But also at the time, I was with the what's called the, the AFLC Church. I was working for them as a youth director, the Association for Lutheran Churches. And so I kind of had this decision between going towards Minneapolis for seminary with AFLC or Fergus Falls, Minnesota with Lutheran Brethren. And and I, I'm embarrassed to say this, but one of the reasons why I want to go Lutheran Brethren Seminary is that they didn't require you to wear a tie. <laughs> and so, 
So, I mean, that's how deep I was at that point. But my, really, the, the heart of it was I, I just wanted to work with youth, basically. And the way to do that was to go to seminary. And so in a lot of ways, I thank God for his sovereignty and his graciousness to me as as a very, very naive a young man who just, you know, I, on, the, on the one hand, just wanted to serve in the church, but really not understand the full capacity of everything that involved with seminary and so forth. So I went in with my eyes not wide open, but with my eyes quite, quite shut going to the seminary. What was seminary life like for you at uh, seminary in the Lutheran Brethren tradition? Seminary in Lutheran Brethren was actually three years. You do your three years of, of your academic learning. Then your fourth year, you go, which in the LCMS we call vicarage. Or the fourth year would be vicarage. So you do your, all of your stuff ahead of time. So three years of education, then you go out for like an internship. Whereas in the Missouri Senate, you go two years, and then you have an internship, and then you have a fourth year back in the school, in the classroom, per se. But I remember what we called suicide Greek is what they called it. It was basically a whole month of learning Greek. And I remember um, not being, well, never really was a good English student. Didn't do uh, well at that at all. And I remember coming back after Greek two weeks in, and I just bawled my eyes out because I felt so completely incompetent. I laid my head on my wife's lap, and this is a great story. And she stroked my hair, and she just said, yep, I'm so sorry that you're having a tough time. She goes, well, that's what you get for cheating through vocab in junior high. (laughs) (laughs) So much empathy. Oh, my goodness. And so... No, literally, I, I I learned more about I learned more about the English language and Greek than I did in high school, and and so for all intents and purposes, I was not prepared for seminary. Um, I was inadequate, and I got my butt kicked, and it humbled me. And so Lutheran Brothers Seminary was a very good experience, very very good faculty there, very kind faculty. It was a very small knit group, uh, about a dozen students in in my class, and that was actually a real large class. And the whole seminary is about 25 students. And so it was a very close-knit community. Uh, they looked out for you. And I got to work at a, at a fieldwork church for three years called Stavanger Lutheran Church out in the country, 10 miles out. And it was Norwegian on the walls. And, and I got to uh, learn how to preach there. They were sympathetic to me and learn basically the ins and outs of ministry in that church. And wonderful, wonderful people in that Stavanger Lutheran Church. That's a great name. So while while we're talking about Lutheran Brethren, what are some differences between Lutheran Brethren and LCMS? They're both Lutheran denominations, but what are some of those those distinguishing factors? Yeah, I think I think a, a real a good way to describe the two, putting the best construction on both denominations, is that the the Lutheran Brethren would consider themselves low church Lutherans, mm-hmm. whereas the Missouri Senate would be more distinguished as lean towards high church Lutherans. So in other words, like the Lutheran brethren, the uh, pastor was 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 seen as just a, a teaching elder, and so there was a de-emphasis on the office of pastor. And so wearing a collar, you didn't wear a collar, you didn't wear vestments. There was no liturgy, there was no confession of sin and absolution, no curie. The 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 structure of the service was very 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 informal, very conversational. The architecture of the churches typically were were very very designed off of the house churches from way back when and so very simple architecture and so a real strong movement of laity involvement in the church and the office of the pastor was was extremely de-emphasized the sacraments were present in the Lutheran brother but not highlighted not distinguished the lord's supper was not highlighted maybe we some churches would have it you know four times a year sometimes once a month 
the 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 baptism was performed, but it wasn't really a part of the 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 life and the talk of the conversation. Lutheran Brethren, though, had a high emphasis on world missions, which I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the Lutheran Brethren on that, on the high focus of missions. But uh, and, and theologically, we'd say that that the Lutheran Brethren would subscribe to the what we call the Augsburg Confession, which is part of the Book of Concord and the Small Catechism, but not. Uh, it would, the, the Lutheran brother would support the whole Book of Concord, but would only subscribe to a small portion of it. Very interesting. Okay, so then with all of those distinctions, how did you did you know about the LCMS, and and how did you make that that decision to to come into the LCMS? Well, you know, so here's the thing: I I, I grew up kind of a, a spiritual mutt. I, my 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 dad was Roman Catholic for for many many years. He's now Missouri Synod, and my mom. My mom was the old ALC, American Lutheran Church, but then my upbringing, I had a lot of involvement with Baptist theology, and so going into seminary, I was a mixed bag, and so I had I had some Catholic ideology, I had some Baptist theology, I had uh, you know Nazarene theology mixed in there, and so I just kind of was a, a consumer of all things Christianity, and so I, I use this metaphor of having a house, and, and in this house you have a bunch of what uh, people of different families, different theologies, and as long as they stayed in their room, they were fine. But as soon as they came into the kitchen, guess what? The fight was on. And so theologically, for myself, if you would visit with me on whatever subject it would be, I might give you a Nazarene answer, or I might give you what a Baptist answer or a Lutheran answer. So I had Lutheran theology, but it was kind of compartmentalized in the big house. But as as time developed, as I w- went out of youth ministries into a senior pastor role, preaching from the pulpit, what I found is that theology that couldn't stay in its compartments; it started to blend. And so I had a theological house that was fighting uh, a theological framework, basically in my mind and my understanding. And long story short, the whole theological framework fell down. Um, my my Nazarene theology was was in competition with my Lutheran theology and some of the Catholic theology and the the Baptist theology. Uh, so I called myself a folk Lutheran. I mean, I was Lutheran in name, but my theology was just a mixed bag. So the whole thing came tumbling down. But as it tumbled down, then you can't live in a vacuum. You can't live without a theological framework. And so I'm trying to piece this stuff together. And I was reading this book by C.F.W. Walther, Long Gospel, which I had from my grandfather. It's an old copy. It's like 100 years old. And I started reading it. And I'm like, this makes sense. And then I started listening to this this podcast with this guy named Tom Baker, you know, which is KFUO. And I met Tom once. I started listening to Tom Baker. I'm like, oh my goodness. And then and then I started meeting with another LCMS pastor, reading the Book of Concord, and then all these pieces started to align and fit together. And so I was casting off a lot of my Nazarene theology, a lot of my Baptist theology, casting it out, cleaning basically cleaning up the rubble, and then building a new house, if you will a new new framework and new windows and putting it all together. But as I was doing that, what I what I slowly, and we can get into this a little bit here in, the, in further, but as that was happening, I was becoming an LCMS pastor, per se, in a Lutheran Brethren denomination. And so while the pieces were getting put together for me, and I had a great deal of excitement, these pieces were fitting together for the first time, what happened was I started to rub against some of the heritage of the Lutheran Brethren where there became a little bit of tension between me and the Lutheran Brethren heritage. And we're going to learn more about how that played out Mm -hmm. in just a little bit. We'll learn more of the rest of the story with the Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth.
At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are continuing our conversation in the Set Apart to Serve series. Today we're talking with the Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard. He's pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota, and author of Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up from Concordia Publishing House. We're learning about his experience coming from a, another tradition, a, another Lutheran denomination, mm-hmm. and coming into the LCMS as a pastor. We call that process colloquy. Mm-hmm. So we're going to learn more about that process of going from one denomination to another as a pastor and what that looks like. So you shared that uh, you were starting to learn more theology and uh, particularly from the LCMS tradition, looking at uh, reading CFW Walther and listening to podcasts that were really <laughs> helpful for you as well in understanding who we are as Lutherans and what we believe, teach and confess, and how that presented some challenges for the tradition that you were in, as in the Lutheran Brethren tradition, started to find some some challenges or maybe some some conflict in that tradition. So when did you start thinking about coming to the LCMS as as a member and as a as a pastor? Yeah, I can remember my wife, she said to me one day, she said, you know, in kind of a a blunt way, and I love my wife for that. She just basically said, you know, Matt, you need to wake up. You're a Missouri Senate pastor in in a Lutheran Brethren Church. And so with that stated, theologically, I was aligning much, much more with the Missouri Senate. The other aspect of it, too, is what I was appreciating about the, the Missouri Senate is the rich history and 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 the divine services in the hymnal. And one of the things with the Lutheran Brethren was, excuse me, with with the uh, preaching was every week it was a brand new service where you had to create a, a brand new, uh, yeah, I'd have, to, I'd have to pick the text and I would have to write a sermon and you're creating something new every single week. Whereas looking at uh, the lectionary, if you will, um, and and looking at the historical lectionary and the the, the theology and the hymns and everything was kind of laid out, uh, I, I was gravitating towards this idea of of. Matt Richard kind of fading into the background and being a servant of Christ's church rather than being the centerpiece, which was a lot of pressure to Lutheran brother to be a centerpiece as a pastor to create things new every week. But okay, so long story short, um, the, the, the whole kind of transition started as, as I was realizing that, you know, I was the odd man out with the Lutheran brother and that it wasn't right for me to start trying to change a Lutheran brother church into a Missouri Senate church. That wasn't uh, a good right and solitary for me as a pastor to do. So I, I thought, okay, well, if I want to be a Missouri Senate pastor, I, I, I need to learn more. So I started going to a couple LCMS events with other LCMS pastors. And then I decided to uh, start a doctorate, my doctoral program uh, down in St. Louis, because I want to bring some chips into the game. So when I approached the Missouri Senate, I could say, hey, here I've been doing some studying. I've, I've, I've been attending one of your universities, so forth. And so I enrolled at uh, St. Louis, Concordia St. Louis, to start a doctoral program. And so I started plugging away at that. And so I was about 80% done with that program when I decided to uh, jump ship, if you will, and join the Missouri Senate. So when I came to the colloquy board, uh, they basically interview you and to screen you. I was able to say, I've been attending these events with other LCMS pastors. These are the pastors that have actually vetted me, gotten to know me. 
and I'm 80% done with a doctoral program with your seminary. And was basically, Lord have mercy, please accept. <laughs> please take me. <laughs> How did that go for you doing colloquy doctorate? What is your doctorate in, by the way? I don't know that I know this. It's 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 a doctoral degree, a DMIN it's called, a doctoral ministry degree. And my my thesis or my 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 big research paper was I decided to to examine American evangelicals, Baptists and Nazarenes and so forth, becoming Lutheran, the journey, which was the journey that I was going on. And so I set out to interview. Well, I thought maybe if I get 50 people to interview and get some data on this. I sent out uh, through Facebook and Twitter and so forth. I got 400 respondents. Whoa. And so interviewed 400 people, oh. 400 people on their journey from Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches into the Lutheran church. And then I got a team of people in the church, when the Lutheran Brother Church I was at, I found people in the community. I got a team of about 10 to 12 people, and we researched this data with a pizza party for like four or five hours. We found some really, really amazing patterns that, that developed over the 400 respondents. And so that was the, the dissertation that, that, I, that I did is to, to develop and, and look for patterns and how people adjust into coming into the Missouri Senate or confessional Lutheranism, if you will. And so anyway, I went to the, I went to the uh, qui, they call it colloquy screening, and they asked me a bunch of questions. And, and I was very, very honest with them. I'm like, you know, I, I, I don't even know how to put an all bond, you know, and the, the, the white little tab thing that goes over your, 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 your collar, I, I, I don't know how to put that on either. And, you know, as far as the services, I, I don't know how to lead the services. And so they developed a program to do three classes in St. Louis. So my wife and I, we packed up our kids in a minivan, drove down to St. Louis. We got an efficiency apartment for about a month and a half. And I attended three classes at the seminary on the confessions, uh, liturgy, uh, the, the worship services, and then the history of the LCMS. And I did doctoral classes at the same time. And so we lived out in a minivan in an efficiency apartment, did all those classes. Then, then we're okay, we're done, but we got to wait to be certified. So what do you do? Well, let's go live with my mom and dad, which, which was glorious. <laughs> and so we went back to, we went back to Botno. I lived in my parents' uh, basement. My kids were there and I waited to get certified. I got certified. I wrote my dissertation, but then you got to wait for a call, you know, so I'm certified. I'm ready to go in the Missouri Senate, but I, I got to wait for a call and a call wasn't coming. And so I'm, it's like, there goes June and July and August and our money's starting to run out. We, we, we raised like $15,000. We saved $15,000 for this transition. So then it's like, okay, well, I need, I better get a job. I don't want to get a job and quit right away. So I went to Walmart in our hometown and they had two openings, produce department and meat department. They said, which one do you want? And I said, I'll, I'll just do meat department. They said, well, why? I said, well, it sounds more manly, you know? <laughs> So I got a job at the meat department and, and I had this white, white vest and everybody called me doctor because I had this white meat department, which was kind of ironic. I was just finished my doctorate and I had this meat, meat white garment on, you know. And so I'm working at Walmart. My wife is doing a professional photography. We live in my parents' basement waiting for a call and actually getting a little bit desperate. Time is going on. We're going on four or five months. And then in November, a tiny little church in Winter, North Dakota called and they said, we want to extend you a call. And we're like, God be praised. And so got to go to Gwinner. Phenomenal people down there. Wonderful church and served there for five years. And then got a call to come to Minot, which is where I graduated college with my wife and I. My wife was born in Minot. It's right down the road from where my parents live. And so we came to Minot here to get closer to family and be there for my folks here in, in, their, in, in their last stage in life, per se. That is a really incredible story. And also... 
as as we hear in a lot of these set apart to serve stories, the, uh, this this thread of God's faithfulness through everything, all the ups and downs, all of the kind of wild and maybe random seeming things in, in somebody's background that all kind of pieces together when you when you finally get to this point, you can see how it all has kind of worked together. So I, I hear some of that in your story too, but I would love to hear from you. How how has all of that experience, all of your time talking with people through your doctorate, how how has that influenced now what you're doing in your current ministry? You know, it, it's it's neat. St. Paul's Lutheran Church just love this church family. It's a wonderful, wonderful church family, as with, as was Gwinner and so forth. The one thing what has been really kind of neat is coming into St. Paul's, a very, very well-catechized church. They, they know what they believe, very solid. But what's been kind of interesting is I'm coming from kind of the perspective from the outside, whereas St. Paul's has had this long tradition of, of, of faithfulness, of good pastors before and so forth. And so they, they know what they believe. However, what I've been able to, I think, just from my experience is, is to know what you believe and why and to kind of approach it from the outside. And so in a lot of ways, uh, we maybe use this analogy, they, they have it up front and I've been able to what, go and backfill what's behind to kind of give that context behind. And so as I've shared, you know, with many in St. Paul's, I'm not teaching anything new. Um, all I'm doing is just is backfilling, is, is giving the, 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 the stuff behind it and from a perspective of coming from the outside. And so it's reinforcing what they already have, but doing it from a perspective of how grateful you are uh, and helping them understand that these are the other pitfalls out in Christianity right now. And the gifts that you have are so incredible. You know, don't forsake them. Don't leave these gifts. You know, even if you've had this your entire life and maybe you're tempted to look outside of the church and see other churches doing other things, don't, don't be deceived. What you have is a tremendous gift right now. Just abide and stay put. And here's the reason why. And so it, it's been a great, 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 great partnership, if you will, if you want to use that language, to be able to come into this church and to just kind of pick up where they, they, where they have left off and then just start backfilling and filling in that context, those blanks behind the scene. And in addition to serving the saints at St. Paul's, in your spare time, <laughs> you write as well. You've written Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up, a great book from CPH. And I understand you're working on more content, hopefully to be published in the not-so-distant future as well. Tell us about your writing and how that plays a role in uh, all your vocations. As a pastor, as a husband, father, how does writing play a part in that? And, and how has this been an experience for you? Well, after I got done with the first book, my wife made me promise no more books. <laughs> and so then I did, I did another little tiny book, a little devotional book called Minute mm -hmm. Messages. And I did that basically for a lot of it was for my own ministry of going to hospital visits and so forth. And so I, I did that kind of for myself and, you know, to bless the church as well. But then visited with CPH and we had the idea of doing a follow-up. Will the real church please stand up? Seven false churches. And so I signed the contract, but then I actually didn't tell my wife for about five weeks. And then she, she, wanted a, she wanted a new Pyrenees dog. We have a Pyrenees dog. She wanted to get another Pyrenees dog. And I'm like, here's my chance. So I said, okay, I'll tell you what. I said, I said you, you can get your Pyrenees dog if I can write another book. She goes, deal. She shook my hand. I said, good, because I said I already signed the contract. And she just said, she said, Matthew. And so anyway, uh, but, but, but the part of writing is it's, it's, you know, for a guy who cheated through vocab in junior high and was a terrible, terrible English student, Writing has been just a, it's, it's been, become a part of, of who I am. And, and I get these things inside my mind and I just got to write and I got to flesh it out. And so I found a great joy in writing. 
the, the saints here at St. Paul's. I have an editorial team of, of wonderful people here in the church who are helping me edit. Quite a few of the uh, ladies in the church helped me edit. And so it's just basically piecing this together. But, but, but again, kind of from that perspective of, you know, the, the, the spiritual mutt of all the background. And so have a lot of background with different uh, denominations and different theologies, which has kind of allowed me to write from those perspectives from kind of the outside in, looking at all the different false churches and all the different problems that exist. A lot of them that were problems that I did myself, things that I failed in. So it's basically my failures as a pastor to flesh that out of these books, to flesh out my mistakes and my failures and my bad theology, to flesh it out and then boil it all down to Christ and his gifts, down to Jesus, simply Jesus, period. Yeah, you have such an, it sounds like an extensive knowledge of other theologies, just just from how you grew up and the different theology you were exposed to in your in your early years and through seminary and, and all of your journeys. So it's, it's very exciting to be able to learn that from you, to have, because I don't have that knowledge, to be able to learn that from you is very exciting. Looking forward to your next book as well. Now, in your role as an author, as you're a pastor as well, your experience working with youth, what are some ways that you're influencing and encouraging young people and even second career people to choose or consider church work? Well, you know, I think I think when it comes to church work, it's very, very simple. And it's when I talk to uh, a couple of young men that are considering uh, seminary, it's the downward trajectory of a pastor. And and, and I cannot emphasize this uh, enough, excuse me, I cannot emphasize this enough that the goal of the pastor is to be in the trenches with the parishioners and it's to draw close to the sheep, always going downward towards the hospital bed, always downward to what serve the, the body and blood of Christ at the, at the rail, to preach into ears, to go into houses when they're struggling. It's to get in those trenches with the parishioners and there's no greater joy. Now, keep in mind, there's, there's definitely suffering when you're in the trenches. There's suffering when you are with the sheep. Uh, the sheep oftentimes um, get wounded, they get hurt, uh, they're attacked by wolves, uh, they're sick. And you as a pastor, you're going to get muddy uh, with the sheep. But at the same time, in the midst of the suffering with God's people, with the flock, there's a tremendous reward when, when the parishioners call you pastor. The word pastor means shepherd in Latin. And it's the greatest, it's the greatest, you know, take the word doctor, right? Toss it out the window. Who cares about those two little initials? The word pastor means more to me than anything else. When somebody says, thank you, pastor, it means thank you, shepherd. Thank you for being there for me as a sheep. So whether it's singing a psalm to a parishioner uh, who's struggling in the hospital, the ICU, or whether it's getting a phone call about a a struggle of pregnancy, um, or being at the grocery store running into a parishioner and hearing about a death in the family, and to pronounce the name of Jesus, to confess Christ, the hope of the forgiveness of sins, the hope of everlasting life, that that Christ is with us in this veil of tears, that as bad as it gets, that Christ will be with us. There, There is not necessarily happiness. You know, I'm not always happy as a pastor, but I have joy. I have contentment in in being a pastor. And so uh, it's trying to try to get downward towards the sheep, being with the sheep. That That's my heart, um, to be with the sheep. Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard, pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota, and author of Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up from Concordia Publishing House. Thanks so much for being our guest and being part of the Set Apart to Serve series here on the Coffee Hour. Thanks, Andy and Sarah. It was fun. You can learn more about Set Apart to Serve by visiting lcms.org slash SAS. You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Love, love, love.
The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.